there, welcome to Island Kaleidoscope. I am Jessie from Swave Art. I'm currently located on Vancouver Island in Canada. Hi, I'm your host, Zhihua. I'm based in Taiwan, but at this moment, I'm working in Kassel, Germany. This is Island Classical Stories from Islands. It explores the cultural relationship through the terminology of the ocean, whales, dolphins, eagles, forests, and the sun. It reveals the life experiences, legends, and the cultural symbols of the people of Taiwan and other regions. Today's keywords are pilgrim, monsoon wind, perspectives. We're happy to have Indonesian artist Aliansha Janiago with us. As we know, the island concept reflects on geographic matters. Artist Alin lives and works in Bandung, Indonesia. He studied painting, painting. He studied painting at the Bandung Indo- Institute of Technology, Faculty Art and Design. Through site-specific interventions, installations, and durational performances, he is interested in working directly with communities and developing artworks that could blend in with the society. Entering conflicted areas creatively and trying to repair the damaged environment. The seemingly borderless land and sea, the world is both connected and seemingly unconnected. It is this beautiful emptiness that makes us want to explore. It dawns on us that islands are in fact miniature continents and that continents are very, very large islands. From the land to the literature and objects, we would love to hear more stories behind the project. Island Kaleidoscope is like a container to collect the hidden memories, folk stories, music, and the undescribable clips in different islands. It reflects and shows the dynamic of cultural landscape from country to country, tribe to tribe, even culture to culture. Let's welcome Aline. Hi, hello. How are you? Hi, Aline. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? Hi, Jesse. Thank you very much for having me today. Um, I'm good, and I hope you are good. I am now live in London. I'm researching about the Kamporji that vanished from my hometown in Sumatra Island due to colonialism in the past. And the rest, I'm just become a full-time father that accompany my wife studying here. Sounds great. Can you tell us why you picked these three words for our audience today? Mm, yes. Um, I picked uh, pilgrimage, monsoon wind, and uh, perspectives because there's a connection with my family. My family is a migrant from Sumatra Island uh, to Java Island, where the capital Indonesia is located. As a migrant, I have been questioning my identity. In Indonesia, we are consist of thousands of islands, and each island have so many cultures with different languages and history. So I am curious to trace back why my family migrated and so on. Thank you, Alin. I can't wait to hear them. Let's dive into our first keyword, pilgrimage. Uh, okay, in this story, I would like to tell you about my personal story in looking for my family identity. It is a story of a little village called Sorkam Barus that located in Sumatra Island.
As a port city, Paris became a melting point for people all around the world in the past. Means not only a melting point for trading, but also a change of information such as fashions, religions, arts, and technology. In short, the village once was a rich cosmopolitan city. The port was almost like one of the centers of the economy in the islands that shape my identity today. After the independence, my grandparents have been migrated to bigger cities, followed by my parents. They have been moving to Medan, Padang, Jakarta, and in our current home city, Bandung, in Java Island. I have never asked my parents about why they have uh, they were migrated until recently. Migration to a big city is common for the villagers. It is like a tradition. And me, I have been taken for granted for these conditions and having a and family history today. Since I was a little baby, every year we do a pilgrimage to Sorkam and Barus during the Great Eid of Muslim community. It is like a big event for my extended family to gather in the village for the Great Eid. We always use our car to do the pilgrim from West Java to North Sumatra. It is a three days and three nights trip by a car. And strangely, our family enjoys it so much. Perhaps me too. They can even plan the trip a year before to imagine, uh, before to imagine the cities they will pass during the trip. The river in a certain province they, were, they, were, they would stop to do a potluck. The, the restaurant they are going to try which city will be harvesting durians when they do the trip and so on. As a little kid, I cannot choose whether I would like to join the trip or not. It is a must decision. But like I said, I enjoy the trip so much. Although what I enjoy, the, what I enjoy from the trip might be different from what my parents do. From the trip, I've always fascinated in how big the ship that bring us to cross the islands the most dangerous road they will pass and how they tackle that situation, the fool and the management, the, the wild animals that come out from a jungle and crossing the road in the night and the river at the back of our house in the village which is my final destination. I'd always like to swim on the river at the back of my house. It is one of the first memory that I had about this village. The village is divided by a river. I still remember that we needed to use a boat to cross the, the river until the government finally built a bridge that connected the two villages. The river was a sacred to the, the, to the villager. Every baby in the village will have their first ritual in the water to be part of the villager. The villagers have no toilet or bathroom in their houses. So they need to go to the river to poo, pee, and take a bath in the same spot in the river. But as the kids, it was our playground. We climbed the coconut tree and jumped into the water. It, it, is, it was always fun to have a river at the back of our house. It was our livelihood. The elderly always tells interesting stories about the village while we are on the water. My fathers once said, we are men from the water. We will never die because of the water. As time flies, we know these stories as a definition of left behind. 
Just recently, the local government built a tall embankment that divided our houses in the village with the river to block the water when the flood happened. The embankment not only blocked the water to reach the village, but also blocked the villagers from accessing the river. And for me, the pilgrimage is not fun anymore since then. The embankment have changed the villagers' lives. They can't go fishing anymore, the kids cannot hunt for the shrimps in the river, the elderly cannot access the river, and the stories about the village stop there. In the past year, many of the villagers have shifted their lands into a monoculture palm oil plantations. The villagers started to mine the soil from the river to build their houses from, from concrete. Since then, I lost this connection with the village. I never do pilgrimage no more. From this pilgrimage, I can barely know why we like it so much to do yearly trips to the village. It is an urge to connect with the heritage, the nature, memory of the place we came from. Recently, I know that the river was a place where my father and my mother met each other when they were teenagers. Maybe they do this pilgrimage every year to, to the village to revisit their memories. As for me, there are still so many questions I keep asking that connection with the space, with a certain place. And how, I, how can I still do pilgrimage when everything is changing now in my hometown? Yeah, um, thank you for sharing that with us, Aling. I can feel your desire to find a connection to your hometown because I, I feel the same way too. I think this kind of situation happens to a lot of people around the world. And when our government plans for modern construction and infrastructure, they tend to ignore the relationship between people and the land. And as a result, people's connection to nature is often lost in the process of modernization. Um, taking Taipei as an example, which is very similar to what happened in Barus, the main river that flows through Taipei City is called Dantra River. In the early days, the government built up the barrier in order to contain the annual flood during the summer season. And as a kid growing up, we sometimes hear our grandparents telling stories about the riverbank. But for my generation, we never got, we never get to see it. Everything happens behind that gray barrier. And for us, the riverbank is a temporary parking lot, a place to practice riding scooter. But there is no further interaction with the river or the animals in the river. And I think that is definitely something we all wish to see more for change from our government or society. Yeah. Um, so when you mentioned the three-day and three-nights trip going back to Asurkam uh, Barus, would you like to share with us one of your most memorable moments of your trips? Um, yeah, it's a lot. I need to, Yeah, but um, I've always remember every details of the landscape, uh, landscape in each province and houses too. I think that is what I really enjoy seeing on every pilgrimage. Oh, we might have to have a special episode for all the stories, maybe. <laughs> Would you like to come for this special episode? <laughs> sure. Great. Uh, I feel like your connection is not only referring to a place, but also the process of m moving between different spots, which makes each trip so precious. 
So that's here the second story with the keyword monsoon wind from Aling. Um. Okay. Um. This is my second keyword. It's monsoon wind. Monsoon wind. Some random day, I ask myself if the world consists of islands. Then how can they keep connected in the past? In this story, I would like to share my personal experience about surfing and my relation with the sea and childhood memory. Personally, I had a trauma with the beach in 2008. I almost drowned because I was swimming on the beach. Since then, I have been avoiding the beach and kept saying to myself that I cannot swim. In 2012 until 2013, the, th- the story has changed when I needed to move to Bali to work. As my workplace and my home was within walking distance to the beach, it was natural for me to go there to escape from the pressure of the workplace or just to hang out spending the after work and the weekend. What I really liked the most from the beach was the unlimited horizons that made me become really small in horizons. It can be refreshing, calming, and help me to meditate, but sometimes could be frustrating too. Especially when there was a question that came up to mind that lies on the other side of the sea. How to reach there? Can I make my own ship to sail? Where? And for what purpose? That seemingly and that seems to be a silly question, but for me, the questions did not come up because of nothing. The questions that time came up in a situation where I got bored from the routines, and maybe that was what I really need to get out from the island and to sail the sea. But first, I need to deal with my trauma, therefore I became a surfer. For one year, I go to the beach every day to surf. The more I am into surfing, the more I am into surfing, the more I am feel I the more the more I am into surfing, the more I feel that I am connected with the water, with myself and my surroundings. I started to know how the wind will affect the waves, which days are good to surf, and also how the moon affected the water level, the aggressiveness of the waves, and so on. What will happen if there is if there is an El Nino in Japan, will they affect the waves that I ride in Bali? That was exactly what I tried. There was a full moon on the night El Nino happened in Japan. The next day, early in the morning, I went to the beach and saw the waves were so tall and aggressive. That day, in the very bad weather, I decided to take the biggest wave I ever ridden. I took a 4 meters high wave and I got wiped to the bottom of the sea. It was a life and death experience for me because the sea was deep and I couldn't even swim. Then in the darkness I realized that uh, what my parents uh, what my father told me. Then in the darkness I realized what my father told me. You are born from the water and you will not die because of the water. That day I told myself this is true, then I will find out find out of who I am. I think my relationship with the sea is somewhat strange. In the past, there was a Sufi from Barus. His name is Hamza Fansuri, 
from 16th to 17th century, he wrote a poem about the sea and the boat. I found his poem about the sea were about his spiritual journey too. He imagines the sea as a world. The waves are, are challenges in life and the, and the boat is his journey. My question is, did he ever try to go on the boat to, to sail the sea? Some sources wrote that there are three of his funerals in Sumatra Island, one in Arab and one in Malaysia. It was strange for me how one body can have three graves at different islands. I found one of his funerals at the northern tip of Sumatra Island, facing the Indian Ocean. It was an enigmatic experience for me to just stand at the tip of the island. What was he seeing at the other side of the sea? I am amazed by how spiritual, philosophical way of thinking and by very poetic action he did about the sea, while at the same time there was an A European colonial came through Indian Ocean to Barus in the name of science or whatever and up changing our generations entirely through colonization. They were looking for a comfort tree. Some said the one in Sumatra Island is the finest. They imported the timbers of the tree to Europe. Nowadays the comfort tree is endangered, the colony is gone. And the way I see the sea is somewhat never same, never the same as before. Some other day, a random one, of course. I am just thinking of making my own boat and reenact the poem in Amza Fansuri about the boat and the sea. I would like to collect as much as I can the memento or my family heirlooms and construct them into a boat. using it to sail through the Indian Ocean, sailing the monsoon wind to find out who I am. Wow, thank you, Ellen. I think it would be a very powerful and influential project for sure to sail through the Indian Ocean on a boat that is constructed with personal mementos and family history. And hearing you talking about your life in Bali, getting to know yourself through the interaction with the ocean is also very powerful. And I feel like you're not alone on this one when you said you are afraid of the ocean at some point, because lots of our artists on the podcast have shared their similar ocean experience with us. And I think in the end, we all learn to respect Mother Nature's power through similar situations. Um, natures can be so beautiful, but yet so powerful and dangerous if you're too arrogant. Yes, so the island is always tied with the image of water and ocean. And ocean is a deep and unpredictable, while we as human beings are always eager to explore. But at the same time, we're also afraid of its natural power. So I'm quite interested to know more about the work from the poet you mentioned, Ham- Hamza Fanzuli. Can you share some paragraphs from his poem? Um, yeah, I have one, a little part of his poem, Shair Prahu. But I don't know the exact translation of this. But um, he gave a metaphor for a boat as a god, knowledge as its pedal, faith as its ruder, and believe in God as its guardians or something like that. Um, were his poems like 
more about religion or were they more about nature? It's more about a uh, spiritual journey, his spiritual journey and is his relation with the nature. So, thank you. With this two story you share above, we can't wait to hear your last one, which is about comfort and the words in different languages. Uh, the keyword is perspectives. It is still about Kapur Barus. In India, it is known as Kapur. In China, it is known as Zhangnao. Right? Correct me. Uh, please correct me if I'm wrong. In Taiwan, it is known as Zunglo. Zunglo? What? So, what is it? Zunglo. Yeah, in the UK, it is known as Camphor. Uh, in Spain, it is known as Alcamphor. In Portuguese, it is known as Camphora. In Persian, it is known as Camper. In Egypt, it is known as Kapur Barus. In Africa, it is known as Camphor. In Arab, it is known as Kafur. In Netherlands, it is known as Camphor. In Germany, it is known as Kampfer. In Russia, it is known as Kampfora. In Vietnam, it is known as Longnau. In Malaysia, it is known as Kapur Barus. In Singapore, it is known as Kampfor. In Myanmar, it is known as Pirot. In Thailand, it is known as Karbur. In Java, it is known as Kamper. In Sunda, it is known as Kapur Barus. In Hungary, it is known as Kampfor. In France, it is known as Kampfre. In Italian, it is known as Kampfora. There's a lot of places in Indonesia are a toponym of the tree that used to be a source of livelihood in the area. What was written above is a translation of Kapur Barus in different languages of and places. If they didn't, if they didn't have, a, if they didn't have the experiences, then they will not have the words for that in the dictionary. And I am so happy that comfort is famous everywhere. Thank you. before you made a project relating to your memory and comfort tree in Taipei Botanical Garden. In Taipei Botanical Garden. Could you share this project to our audience? Ah, yes. Um, in 2008, I was invited by Swift Art to create a project about comfort tree. That time, I created a one scale one comfort tree using the comfort waste from a natural comfort factory in Miaoli. Later, the Taipei Botanical Garden named it as Tree Without Roots. It was about my personal experience of seeing a comfort tree in Taiwan. Although the species was different from the tree in Sumatra Island, it was said it, it, it was a sad experience to see the tree was not in the village, in my village, I mean. That was when I want to put my personal experience into the context of botanical garden that serves as more a scientific approach to see the botany world. Yeah, that's the 
the project. Yeah, thank you, Aling. I think in many ways, people tend to instinctively look for connection to land and nature. And when something used to be here, we know, but cannot be found anymore, it makes us feel disconnected, right? And for our audience, if you would like to check out that project that Aling just mentioned, you can go to swayfr.org. And thank you, Aling. And we really appreciate your time with us today. Yeah, I truly thank you, Jesse and Chihua. I'm honored to talk to you both. I hope I could hear your story too in the future. Yes, uh, I'm always amazed by how Indonesian people relate themselves to nature and island. So maybe it is because of the geographical matters of being the world's largest island country, having thousands of inhabited islands. So within these scattered scattered islands, we found we we find how diverse the culture and ecology can be, and therefore there would definitely be a lot of interesting stories to tell. That's so true. Indonesia is also one of my favorite places to visit, and every time I visit there, I feel reconnected to the nature, and I'm definitely planning on exploring more in the future. Thank you all for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the story that Aling brought us. Thank you for listening to Island Kaleidoscope. Before we end, subscribe to Island Kaleidoscope and show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review or comment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or whatever you are listening to right now. Stay tuned for our next episode of Island Kaleidoscope. See you soon. Goodbye. 再见. Da da da. Thank you.